You're listening to A Conduit's Diary, a podcast featuring my diary entries as I investigate paranormal activity. This is rated explicit because I have a foul mouth and I'm kind of an asshole. Be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast so you can share the love. Here's episode eight, two stories with a functional attic. Hey, said Stephanie on the other line, impatient. I'd answered on the third ring. I didn't know what else she wanted from me. Plus, I was working. Not all of us had the luxury of making our own schedule. Okay, so maybe I did, but that was besides the point. Hey, I answered shortly, shifting the weight of one of the rescue pups as I tried to manage the bottle. For whatever reason, this letter's mom decided she didn't want anything to do with her puppies, and I was left bottle feeding them almost every other hour. I didn't have the most normal of sleep schedules, so it wasn't too difficult for me at night, but sometimes I just wanted to sleep. Screaming puppies made that impossible. Want to grab lunch? She asked me. I eyed the puppy in my arm suspiciously. Now? I asked. I heard her shuffle her phone before saying, yeah, now. I agreed, knowing this came with a catch. This always came with a catch. Stephanie was the type of older sister that only reached out when she needed something, or if you posted something particularly concerning on Facebook. Since I didn't have a personal Facebook, it must have been the former. Stephanie pulled out in front of the rescue about 20 minutes later, looking stressed. Where to? I asked. She nodded absently, saying, I just need to make a pit stop real quick then, wherever you want. It was uncharacteristic for her to be frazzled, much less to allow me to make my own selection of where we got food. She was a notorious control freak. You okay? I asked her. It was no surprise to me when she nodded absently, saying, yeah, yeah, just need to, um, stop by somewhere real quick. She was drifting off as she turned the steering wheel and headed onto the freeway, taking us into the heart of Gilbert. Let me explain something about Phoenix to those of you who don't live here. Phoenix doesn't really exist. Okay, so there is a city of Phoenix. There's a downtown Phoenix with a bustling nightlife. But Phoenix isn't just one place. When people say Phoenix, they're including every metro suburb that blends into it. You can literally hop from Chandler to Gilbert to Tempe to Mesa and have no idea you've technically crossed multiple cities. Each city had its own reputation, but for the most part, they're the same. If you feel differently, fight me. Gilbert had a reputation for being safe. The downtown area was flipped from an old antique shop with a killer barbecue to a bustling set of restaurants, bars, and even a speakeasy. The occasional shop still existed, but for the most part, it was a place for people to eat expensive meat boards and drink alcohol. That type of glow-up spread to the surrounding neighborhoods, and Gilbert was seeing a trend toward higher housing prices. Stephanie started investing in Gilbert after the Queen Creek boom happened, another suburb that grew out of control some years prior. She was turning down a side road just off the downtown area when she put her car into park and took a deep breath. You want to pop inside with me? She asked. Not really, I said, reveling in the cool AC blowing in my face. It was early August and except for one tiny storm a few weeks ago, we'd been without rain for over a hundred days. Monsoon who? Get out of the car, she told me, her voice on edge. I eyed her up, knowing full well this is why she wanted me to meet her with her. 
It had nothing to do with sisterly lunch. She needed something from me, and it involved this house. Why? I asked, sharing her annoyance. Because I need your help, she nearly yelled. This made me flinch. While I was prone to meltdowns and screaming, Stephanie had yelled maybe twice in her life. Well, except to yell at people on the phone for incompetence, that is. Otherwise, she was a pretty stable person and preferred her narrowed eyes and too calm voice to get what she wanted. Jesus, all you had to do was ask. I don't need some fake sisterly shit, I mumbled, unbuckling the seatbelt and exiting the car into the impressive midday heat. I didn't fail to notice the for sale sign in the front of the house, nor the fact that it was not well maintained. The rest of the homes down the neighborhood were spotless, the picture of an overbearing HOA. This home had dead grass, overrun with weeds and wildflowers, chipping stucco, and bushes that were beyond disrepair. I'm sure it has good bones, I told Stephanie. She ignored me and went for the realtor lockbox on the side of the house, producing a key and stopping just in front of the door. Are you going to tell me what this is about? I asked her. She blew a stray piece of hair from her face and turned to me, sighing. I will. Let's just go inside first. I... I don't want to give you too much information, she trailed off. I rolled my eyes and grabbed the keys from her, pushing the door open and reveling in the fact that at least the air conditioning was on in this home. I was met with an immediate sense of foreboding. It was no more than two steps in the house when my stomach soured and any appetite I had for lunch was completely gone. Instead, I felt the hair on my neck raise and my skin felt hot. Something was very, very wrong here. What happened here? I asked her, turning slowly. She took another deep breath and crossed over the threshold. This house has been on the market for 120 days, despite being a competitive neighborhood in Gilbert. Walking distance to downtown, close to bike paths, good school district. Prior to this last sale, it was never occupied for more than a few months before going on sale again. She opened her purse and pulled out her iPad, tapping a few screens before she handed the MLS to me. Sure enough, the purchase history was long, with each sale lower than the one before it. What happened here? I repeated. She shrugged. That's the thing. Nothing. No arrest records, no deaths, no nothing. It didn't start until maybe 2010. It's hard to tell because it was an investment property. Investment property, I asked. She nodded. Yeah, a rental. So we don't have records of the tenants. The business went under for shady practices, hiding money and stuff. So when the business went under in 2010, it was sold about six months later and the timeline started. This has been going on for 10 years, I asked, shocked. She shrugged. More or less. It was flipped once or twice because it sold for so cheap in this area. Anyways, it's kind of a myth amongst realtors. Every so often someone gets cocky and tries to sell it to their clients. That's usually the last deal they make with that client. They inevitably move out within months, sometimes without their things. The attic is a disaster. Do they say why? I asked. She shrugged. It's all very hush-hush in the community. I tried to pry information out of one of the other realtors at a function. No dice. He made some excuse about carbon monoxide causing hallucinations. I'm sure you looked up the police reports? I asked. She nodded. Yeah, no death certificates or anything. I shook my head, tapping to a few websites on her iPad. No, no, like, calls to this house from the police. You know, when people call and say things like, there's someone in my house and shit like that. It's not easy to find, but sometimes. I tapped a few more buttons, logged into a website using a login I shouldn't have access to. 
and typed in the address. Bingo. Whoa, how did you do that? Stephanie asked, peering over my shoulder at the extensive rap sheet. It's how people decide crime rates in an area. You ever notice on certain websites that they list crime rates in hot zones? You can even look up the average type of crime. Anyway, they pull from a database, this database, and you can see what types of crime is in the area. If you know how to look, you can even find just the calls, even ones without a true crime committed. We sat in silence as we scrolled what seemed like endlessly, reading each call with a surprising pattern. Break-ins, mostly, she murmured, nodding as her lips moved to read each account. Yeah, looks like no one was ever found truly breaking in, I said. How is that possible? She asked. I clicked a few of the reports to find more information. Noises, mostly. Footsteps. Voices. Women's voices. Interesting. These go back years. Well before 2010, she said, shocked. So the business knew it was haunted and they rented it anyway? I shrugged. It may or may not be haunted. Okay, where do I fit into this? I asked her, pressing the lock on the iPad and turning toward her. Why did you call me here to this allegedly haunted house? I want you to fix it, she said simply. Fix it, I echoed. She nodded. Yeah, this house has huge potential. If you fix it, I can buy it and upgrade it. It really just needs some curb appeal, and the price right now is like 200000 under everything else in the neighborhood. If we can make this work, I could make a lot of money. Who would buy it? It's been on the market a long time already, and it has a reputation. A reputation amongst realtors, she corrected. The average person doesn't know. The average person doesn't know how to look up property records, and unless the neighbors say something, which they won't because this eyesore drags down property values, we're in the clear. What do I get out of it? I asked. She scrunched her face. 2%, she said. Of total sale or of your portion of the sale? I clarified. She fidgeted. I'm just saying, the other houses in this neighborhood are going for like 600 or so. 2% of that is 12 grand, which is less than I sometimes get paid for my business. Her eyes widened. Are you fucking with me? You make a few grand doing this? I shrugged. I have a particular clientele in a lot of debt. I was bluffing, of course. Making 12 grand a trip would be nearly impossible to hide from the government, and I wouldn't be living in a townhome in the boonies. Stephanie didn't need to know that. Fine, if you clear this haunting and we sell, you get 5% of total sale. Done, I said with a smile, extending my hand to shake. She reluctantly took mine, grasping it a little too firmly. Now about that lunch. Hema and I returned to the home early the next morning. She wasn't available the night before, and I needed a little more time to prepare. I looked through the police calls again and the seller history, but was stumped on where the haunting could have originated. The renter history made it difficult to narrow down anything, so I stuck with the prevailing theme. Haunted home, lots of weird noises, women's voices. Hema assisted me this time because she had the tools I needed. Usually I checked out the haunting, told her what I wanted, and she supplied me at cost plus 10%. It was her helper fee, and I naturally passed the cost on to the client. She preferred to be kept out of the action. She was a behind-the-scenes girl. For this, though, I didn't give her a choice. I picked her up at sunrise and brought her a promised Dutch Bros coffee before parking in front of the home and turning off the car. Wow, Jill Bear, huh? She said, appraising the home. This is some suburban shit. Yeah, but it's pretty dark, I warned her for the 50th time. I wasn't about to do this by myself. 
but I didn't want her going in unprepared. Yeah, yeah, I got it, she said, exiting the car. Hema knew about what I did. She'd seen it firsthand, but she never really understood the danger that came with it. She didn't know about the greater forces out there, more than just ghosts. To her, it was helping people pass peacefully into the afterlife or whatever she believed. She had no real idea, and I kept it that way. You can always wait in the car once I figure out what's going on, I told her, heading to the box with the key on the side of the house. Listen, I'm here. Get over it. I don't break my folklore lockdown for just anyone, she winked, as if I knew what that meant. Once inside, I was assaulted by the same heavy feeling I felt yesterday. It felt like even the walls were radiating dark energy. Hema frowned and looked around, her eyebrows raising. Man, this is some heavy shit. She closed her eyes and took a deep breath in, murmuring something under her breath. What's that? I asked. Her eyes opened and she smiled at me. Oh, just something for protection. Where to first? I'm not sure, I said. I'd studied the police call log the night before and found the same generic call. Women's voices, things moving, loud crashes. The house was a two-story and it seemed like there was no generalized area. One thing I read a lot involved footsteps in the attic. Okay, Hema said, pulling out a crystal on a string from her bag. It was similar to the one I used to investigate my hauntings, but hers was way more authentic. She held it out, then seemed to reconsider, reaching for two forked objects. She held them in front of her at a short distance from each other and began to walk. So tell me about this place, Hema said. I reiterated what Stephanie and I had discovered yesterday. Long history of changing hands, no known deaths involved with the property, serious spook reported from people who lived here. Do they ever think to hire an exterminator, she asked, eyeing up a small pile of rat droppings in the corner of the living room. I shrugged. I'm sure it occurred to one of the dozens of families. Dozens, eh? she asked, her eyes trailing the walls. We continued with slow precision through each of the downstairs rooms. I watched her tongs for any movement, unsure what they were for or what they signified. They read energy, she said at last, readjusting her grip on them. Seems redundant. You read energy. And you read ghosts. And yet, you're following me through a haunted house, she retorted. I gave her that one. We completed our sweep of the downstairs and looked up to the second story. I led the way. Damn if I'd let her lead after that statement. She just smirked and held out her tongs. The second floor was equally unremarkable, with no obvious movement from her tongs. She frowned and put them in her purse. It's so weird. This place is heavy, but where is it coming from? As if on cue, a noise greeted us from above our heads. We exchanged glances and, at the same time, said, The attic. Of course it was the attic. Arizona homes didn't usually have basements. What other stereotypical area could ghosts hide out in? Hema gave me a knee up into the bedroom closet to slide the panel to the attic to the side. Staircases to attics were not common here. Attics were mostly unfinished rooms suspended above garages for people to throw shit in. I was surprised to see floorboards. Hema hefted me into the ceiling and I reached down to help her, annoyed when she effortlessly pulled herself into the attic. We were training for a Spartan sprint before COVID, she told me, as though she needed to apologize. I rolled my eyes and sat back on my heels, surveying the attic. Stephanie was right. There was a ton of shit in here. I pulled out my phone and switched on the flashlight app. Hema reached in her purse and pulled out a real flashlight, illuminating the space. I froze when her beams landed on a woman. Her eyes narrowed, looking feral in the broken light. 
Emma gasped, and for a minute, I thought there was a squatter in the attic. A closer inspection of the woman showed me this wasn't the case. She was wearing decidedly dated clothes, boot-cut jeans with flip-flops and a peasant blouse that reminded me of Seventeen Magazine when I was in fifth grade. Her hair was pulled back from her face in a half-updo, and a chunky clip sat behind her left ear. Her eyes were narrowed, and her pretty futures obscured by pure hatred. Oh, so he's just letting anyone in here now, she growled. Emma glanced at me, her eyes wide, her jaw slack. You can see her? I asked, feeling shrill. Emma nodded slowly, her eyes never leaving the woman's face. I mean, I kind of can. I know she's there. I can hear her. I can feel her. Jesus, I can kind of see her. If she doesn't, don't talk about me like I'm not here, the woman practically screamed. Her fists were balled at her side, tightened and throbbing. Who are you? I asked. I didn't dare adjust my phone to see her better. Hema's beam was trembling on the woman now, shaking as she took in shallow breaths. Come on, Hema, I thought. Keep it together. Who am I? She asked, the rage rising in her voice. Oh, so you're going to pretend like you don't know who I am when you're in my damn house? I raised my hands in way of surrender trying to talk her down. I'm sorry, we just, we just want to help. Want to help? Why not stay away from other people's men? She hissed. How old are you anyway? 20? God, he makes me sick. He's nearly 60, you hear me? 60. He could be your father, you pathetic slut. She punctuated these words with colossal steps forward, causing dust to shake down from the rafters as she moved. Her jaw was set, her eyes wide. That's when Hema fell. I saw her fall from the corner of my eye. She gasped first, her arms going out around her to try to steady herself. She was too late. She was falling right back down through the hole we'd climbed up. Except, when I looked closer, I realized there was a hand wrapped around her ankle. Someone was in the bedroom, pulling Hema down into it. She managed to catch herself on the ledge before landing clumsily back in the room. I looked up in time to see the woman advancing on me, her fist extended. I shimmied down the hole, trying to avoid Hema as I landed in a pile next to her. Hema wasn't watching me, though. Her eyes were trained on another woman, crouched near us. She had the same sort of crazed expression on her face as the one in the attic, though she looked less inclined to murder us. Her eyes were wide as she looked up in the attic. Come on, we gotta go, she whispered loudly. Is that you, Yolanda? That fucking Bitch, roared the woman from the attic. I told you to stay away, she hollered, the sound of her steps increasing in speed as she rushed to the hole. Yolanda nodded for us to leave the bedroom, closing the door behind and resting against it. Hema was staring at Yolanda with wide-eyed fascination. You're dead, she whispered. You're dead and I can see you. Holy shit, she said, reaching out to touch the woman. Sure enough, her hand met air, moving through her like she was nothing. What? I'm not... The woman started, catching her breath when Hema's hand moved through her. What the... She said, staring at the place Hema's hand disappeared into. No, it can't be, she whispered. She turned her back to the door, sliding down it until she was seated. For a moment, she forgot about the screaming woman in the other room at least until her fist began to pound against the door and rattle it. Yolanda, you stupid slut, I told you to get out of my house, 
she screamed from inches away. I jumped back, unsure what to do. I'm dead? she asked, her eyes turning up to Hema and I. Yeah, so is your friend, I said, nodding to the door. That's impossible, she said, her eyes roving the walls around us, unseeing. Hema and I watched as she puzzled through this information, folding her hands in her lap. She looked young, maybe in her early 20s, with the same hairstyle Lizzie McGuire had at her peak. Thick brown bangs, shoulder-length hair, a butterfly clip keeping the sides away from her face. All at once, the banging on the door stopped, and silence snuck in from behind the door. Yolanda blinked, wiping her face, realizing that there were no tears on her hand. I don't understand. Who are you? She asked, frowning up at us. I'm Rachel, I said. This is Hema. We're here to... Well, we're here to figure out how to help you. Help me, she scoffed. She's the one who needs help. She tossed her head back against the door. It didn't make a sound. Yeah, help you. You know, cross over, Hema said clumsily. I shot her a look and shook my head. Cross over, Yolanda said, her voice raising an octave or two. I waved my hands. Hey, just, just listen to us. We are... Are we safe from... I trailed off and motioned to the door. Yolanda considered it, then nodded. Yeah, for now. Come on, let's go to the kitchen. We followed Yolanda down the stairs to the kitchen, marveling at the way she moved through it, as if she owned the space. As far as hauntings went, this is the most interactive one I'd seen. Yolanda seemed to think she wasn't dead, that it was still her time here. She frowned at the lack of furniture, opened the cabinets, and shook her head at the emptiness. I'm sorry, I don't know where... She trailed off, fighting the realization. Just tell us the last thing you remember, I said. There's been a lot of people here, she said, shaking her head. A lot of people I don't know, always coming and going. I don't know how they got in. It scares me, you know, when they just show up. Think, Yolanda, what's the last thing you remember? Her eyes glazed over as she looked at me, her head tilting slightly. It was 4th of July. I know it was. We were going to see the fireworks that night. Joe and I, that is, he said he'd pick me up at 6 and we'd head down to the old cotton field to watch the fireworks. I wanted to have a party, invite all of our friends. He said it wasn't a good idea. We swung by his house first. She raised her arms around her to indicate the home. You know, so we could. She trailed off, waving her arms. We were in bed when the door opened and she stood there. She? asked Hema. Yolanda pointed above our heads. Her, she said. Her name is Kennedy. She's, well, I knew her. I didn't realize they were together. I know Kennedy knew Kennedy? She trailed off, her eyes rising slowly to the stairwell. How shocking, hissed the woman from the attic, Kennedy. She was standing halfway down the stairs, eyeing up Yolanda as if we didn't exist. Hema and I jumped up and moved away from the kitchen island, clearing the space between the two women. Always the victim, Miss Yolanda, she spat on the ground near her. You knew Joe was my husband, don't play the fool. When I caught you two together, oh man, she laughed. It was just what I needed. I took a picture, you know. I have evidence, so when we get a divorce, I get everything. This is what I was waiting for, for him to slip up. She looked triumphant, 
Her arms crossed over her chest. You did this on purpose? Yolanda asked, frowning. I didn't do anything. I just went out of town. I made it easy for him. And then I waited in that attic until I heard him come home. I didn't want to spoil your love-making session. I had what I needed with that photo, though. I had it all. She frowned, blinking, then started again. I had it all with that photo. Her voice trailed off. You threatened us, remembered Yolanda. You threatened us and he... Oh, God. A thump caused Hema and I to jump and look. We watched in horror as Kennedy who was no longer at the bottom of the stairs, bumped step by step down the stairs. She landed at the bottom with a sickening crack. Her body sprawled in an impossible angle. Yolanda ran down the stairs after her, coming up a few steps short, her hands shooting to her mouth to stifle a sob. Another crack echoed across the room as something heavy hit Yolanda across the head. Her eyes glazed over as she, too, fell down the remaining stairs, landing next to Kennedy. She convulsed a few times before going deathly still. Hema's hand was wrapped around mine, her fingers digging into my wrist. We stood in silence for at least five minutes, watching the lifeless bodies. Then, as though pulled by invisible forces, they were dragged one at a time up the stairs. I squeezed Hema's hand before moving toward the stairs, she reached out and snatched my arm, trying to stop me. I shook my head, nodding again toward the stairs. Come on, I whispered. She followed me, never releasing my arm as we watched Kennedy get dragged, step by step, up the staircase. We watched both bodies disappear into the attic. And then, silence. What do we do? whispered Hema. We were back down in the kitchen. Hema sat on the ground, her arms wrapped around her knees as she rocked, not tearing her eyes off the stairwell. I pulled out my phone and dialed Stephanie. She picked up on the second ring. Well? she asked. What are the laws in Arizona about reporting dead bodies and sold property? Stephanie wasn't an idiot. She bought the house that day. The next day she hired a crew to help her clean the attic. Once the attic was cleaned, she went to check the insulation when she found a strange section of the attic that didn't fit the blueprints. It was a sectioned off area of the wall covered in brick. She called it an eyesore and demoed it herself. Stephanie, alone, made the call to the police who came to investigate two dead bodies that had been hidden in the walls of the attic for years. Stephanie's retelling made her sound brave. Hema marveled at her, twisting the straw of her iced tea between her fingers. We were at some new coffee place in Scottsdale that sold more types of tea and coffee than I could count. It'd been three days since the bodies were found, and it was surprisingly hush-hush. Stephanie worked hard to keep the information out of the news, especially after she threatened the police. How are you going to arrest the murderer if he knows the bodies were found? She pushed. This is, of course, according to her, I struggled to imagine my petite sister swinging a hammer at a brick wall solo. I also struggled to imagine people believing that she would do it on her own. She was a hire the experts kind of girl. She waved her hand when I objected to her story, saying, listen, it had to be done. You've been back in that house. It's entirely different. I couldn't risk another contractor ducking out on me for another ghost dead body, whatever. 
She was right. The house felt entirely different. After the bodies had been removed from the attic, the heavy energy was gone. Stephanie didn't want to know the details. She just wanted to know what she could do to get the house into selling condition. I told her she needed to find the dead bodies in the attic and remove them. So she did. Quick and efficient. Wow, I just... Hema trailed off. She was clearly still shaken from the events of the day. I apologized multiple times to her for needlessly bringing her into the home. I really thought I would need one of her crystals or sage or whatever to clear the house. Hema didn't accept any of the apologies, other than to say that she understood me much better now. Whatever that meant. We'll have the house on the market next week. It needs very little TLC, mostly external. Hopefully I can keep it hush-hush until it's sold. I'm going through a third-party seller. Don't want it linking back to me, she said, lowering her voice. I thought you wanted the clout, I objected. I did before I pulled two dead bodies out of the attic. No, that changed everything, she shook her head. No reward without risk, she said finally, sipping her coffee. Hema chanced to glance at me, confused. No reward without risk, I agreed, raising my water as though to toast her. Until the next one, Stephanie said. Her eyes leveled on me. I should have known. Thanks for listening to this episode. I really appreciate all of the reviews that I've been getting. It's cool to have people other than my mother tell me that this is pretty cool. Anyway, I just wanted to pop in and say that next episode, um, two weeks from now, probably won't happen. I've got some stuff going on at the rescue and it's taking a lot of time. I don't think I'll be able to quite get another episode, so consider this a mini break. You'll be seeing me again in a month from today. Catch you later. A Conduit's Diary is created by me, written and produced by me, mixed horribly and edited by me. Cover art created by BMC Design on Fiverr. Music, intro and outro created by Chris Hornberger.